Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon shares a message entitled, Forgotten. Many times in our lives, we feel forgotten or left out. Brandon reminds us that God has never forgotten us, and in addition, we should never forget Him. I want to talk to you today uh, about um, just the thought of being forgotten. Um, And what really began to prompt this thought as I began praying about it was this Sunday. Um, I don't know how many of you, and, and probably judging by the attendance today, you realize that this Sunday is sort of the forgotten Sunday. I don't know, you have the big buildup for um, Christmas and, and everybody's excited and then Christmas happens and everybody kind of goes, Phew. and it's like this Sunday is stuck between Christmas and New Year's and it sort of just gets forgotten. It's kind of that ignored Sunday where there's nothing big. You've had all the Christmas stuff going on on Sundays. And then you get to this Sunday and it's kind of just, you know, people are tired. They're trying to recover from the Christmas hangover kind of thing. And so then uh, we, we sort of just forget about this day. Well, I want to read some scripture to you. And then we're going to talk about this whole thought of, of being forgotten. I want to look at that in, in, in uh, the context of a couple of ladies' lives this morning out of Genesis chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to begin in verse uh, 16, and then we'll jump over to 30 and read from there. But I want to read this to you. We're going to talk about Leah and Rachel this morning. In verse 16 of chapter 29, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. And then over in verse 30, if you look over there, it says, Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me. Now She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Then verse 35 says, She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Well, let's pray. We're going to ask God to just bless the word today. God, we thank you. Thank you, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet, God. I thank you, God, that it is light on our path, that it directs us and guides us, God. I thank you that it goes out and does not return void, Father. So I thank you, Father, that it would do a great work in us today as we begin to hear what you would have to say to us through your word, Father. Just bless it that it would sink deep into our hearts, into our our spirits, God, and produce spiritual fruit for your kingdom. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever forgotten something? I mean, that's kind of a dumb question because we have all forgotten something, and sometimes we have forgotten some pretty big things, sort of like children. I don't know if you've ever forgotten your children, but uh, you get in a hurry and you leave and you go, I know that I am forgetting something. How many of you have ever forgotten? I'm not just kidding. You don't have to raise your hand for that. But, but we have. Haven't we? There have been times when we could almost walk out and forget our children because we get so busy. Things are going crazy. We're just trying to get out the door. I know when we had small children, I was the worst. Susan would get so frustrated with me because I never could remember to get the diaper bag. 
You know, I didn't just forget like the diapers or the white. I just forgot the whole thing. I was just glad I had the kid in the car, you know, and I would forget it. And um, so I was always forgetting something. I'm still forgetting. I have one of those one-track minds where I'm really good at focusing on one thing, but I'm really bad at everything else that's going on around me. And so I have that one-track mind. Last night, we were... Um, we were going to look at Christmas lights, and, and my father-in-law, my mother-in-law were taking us to look at Christmas lights. We go, and we get in the car, and I said, Susan, do you have the keys? And she said, yes. I said, good, because I didn't get them. And then I said, go ahead and give them to me. I'll put them in my pocket. And she hands me the keys, and they were the wrong keys. So we go, and of course, everything's locked up tight. We go see the Christmas lights, come home, and we spend the next probably 15, 20 minutes trying to break into our house. I felt really good about things because it took a lot of effort to get into our house, and so I slept really, really well last night. But again, we had forgotten our keys, and so many times we forget things in our lives, and it becomes a nuisance. It becomes a hassle. It's aggravating when we forget things, especially big things. But I think what's probably even a little worse than that is when we feel like somebody's forgotten us, right? I mean, come on, guys. How many of you have forgotten an anniversary, a birthday, something really major, important like that, and you pay the consequences? Why? Because when we are forgotten, it hurts. It makes us feel bad. I was able finally, after all of my forgetfulness, I was finally able to get back at Susan just a little bit. I mean, I would never seek revenge or anything like that, but it was an opportunity this year at my birthday because Susan forgot my card. She got me a present. She forgot my card, so it was my one opportunity to say, look, how could you not even get me a card? Come on, you know? And, but she's so much better at those things than I am, so I can't give her too much of a hard time. But... The, the thing that, that happens to us so many times is, is somehow we get forgotten and it just stinks. We feel like we've been forgotten by our wife. We feel like we've been forgotten by our, our husband. We feel like we've been forgotten by our employer. We feel like we've been forgotten by our kids. All of these things. I mean, how many of you, when your kids opened the presents this, this Christmas time, you just looked and were amazed that there was not more thankfulness it was almost like they forgot where these things come from, you know? And so we, we uh, just get to a point where forgetfulness can hurt. I remember um, when I was about, uh, I was 16, Susan was 15. And you got to understand something about Susan. We've been dating since Susan was 11 and I was 13, okay? So we were apart for five months in high school, and that was it. And we actually both had another boyfriend and girlfriend during that time. But other than that, we've been together since, like, Jesus walked the earth. It's been a long, long time since we were apart. And so we were, we were dating, and, and we did this so that when we taught youth, we could give them an example of what not to do. I always felt like the biggest hypocrite. Don't get so involved in a relationship at this age. It won't work. Da, 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 da. And then I went, how long have you and Susan been dating? That's not the point. The point is what I'm telling you. And so they just, you know, it was just a bad example. But, uh, you know, we were in that whole junior high thing where she would call me, and, and finally— her mom and dad had another phone line put in just because of our relationship because we would talk on the phone for like two hours at a time and so we would get on the phone and absolutely say nothing she would do all of her homework while we were on the phone and it was one of those things where we kind of just listened to each other breathe I don't know if you've ever had those kind of relationships when you were younger but it was kind of like you could seriously sit there and listen to the other one breathing on the phone because she'd have it up to her ear while she's writing and then I'm sitting there just bored because I wasn't doing homework and so she's sitting there just bored and it's like 
Oh, not that loud. Sorry. <laughs> wake up, wake up. And, and so it's just one of those things where we could hear each other breathing. It was like, you know, constantly into the phone. And, and then she'd look at me, or she wouldn't look at me. She'd look at the phone. She'd say, hey, what are you doing? And I'd be like, nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. And then like five minutes later, so what are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? And this would go on for like two hours. But we had been together for so, so long. I mean, and, and we just did that for years. But we were so in love and everything. And I'll never forget, there was one day, um, I was planning to go fishing that day. And uh, Susan had found this place on her, on her neck. It was a little lump that she had found. And the doctor said, don't worry about that. It's, it's nothing. Really, just, it, there's nothing to it. Don't worry about it. But he said, just because of cancer being in your history, I want you to come in. Let's check this out. Well, I was going fishing. It was no big deal. So I wasn't even going to stop by the hospital. Um, I was 16. She was 15. I, my dad and I were about to go fishing. I decided, well, I'm going to run by and just say hello and, and just make sure she's out and everything's okay. Well, we go, and it had taken a little longer than what they expected. And when I walk in, I had not been there long, and the doctor comes out. And he's literally like in tears. And he comes to her parents and he says, it's cancer. And I remember sitting there and it was as though all the blood was drained from my body. It was like the worst feeling I had ever had. I had just lost a cousin who was, I believe he was 16 also when he died of rickets lymphoma. It would have been within the last year or so that he had passed away. And Susan, you know, meant the world to me. Even at this time, the reason I tell you all that about how we had come along and how we had grown up is because we had gotten very close even at that age. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know what to do. And the first thing I felt was rage. I began to be so angry, and, and I was just so mad. And, the, and I'm just going to be honest with you. The only words that would come out of my mouth was, I hate God. And I just sat there and I found a corner in that emergency room and I sat there for a few minutes just saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And I'm thinking, how could you do this? Where are you now, God? If you're real, where are you now? And I was so mad. I was so upset. I was so wondering, where is God? And luckily my mom walked in because I was literally to the point of anger where I would have destroyed the emergency. I was wanting to throw things. I don't know if you've been that, in that place before, but I was so distraught. I wanted to throw things. I was up there and, and my mom walks in and I'm still saying, I hate you, God. I hate you. I hate you. And she comes up and she grabs me and she says, no, now's the time that you need God. And I didn't want to hear it. I, I, I didn't want any part of that because... I was wondering, how could he forget us? Like, where is he during this time? What are you doing, God? Why would you do this? Where are you? And I want you to know that during that time, my heart grew so hard. It grew harder and harder and harder as I went through that time with her. And, and the funny thing is, for her, she grew stronger and stronger and stronger. But for me, it was like God had disappeared. And if you had asked me at that time, I was to a point where I didn't really care if I never experienced God, never thought about God. I really didn't care if God had disappeared. I was so angry. But God never gave up on me. He, he pursued me, and finally he got me uh, my attention again, broke my heart truly for him so that I could see him. But the problem was that I felt like God had forgotten me. Now we look back at this in Genesis 29 and think about this now. This is Leah. 
This is, this is where Leah lives. Jacob, um, who had to flee his brother Esau, comes to his uncle Laban, and he comes and he finds Rachel. And Jacob really, really, really wanted to marry Rachel. He wanted Rachel more than anything. And, but Laban had this other daughter, the other daughter named Leah. Now listen to this. This is how Leah is described. It says, Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. What if the only thing the Bible really had to say about your appearance was that you had weak eyes? You know, it probably doesn't mean that you were knocked down gorgeous. You know, that you had weak eyes. And so when Jacob comes, he finds Rachel and he immediately begins to fall in love with her. But Leah is sort of the unnoticed one. And so you go on and what you end up seeing is that Laban... Jacob's uncle actually tricks Jacob into marrying Leah. He tricks her, tricks him into marrying. He worked seven years to marry Rachel. And when it came time for him to marry her, Laban tricks him so that he goes and he ends up actually marrying Leah. So he comes back and he's like, how could you do this to me, Laban? How could you do this? And he says, I'll tell you what, it's kind of our custom to give the oldest daughter first. So what I'll do is I'll give you Rachel now, but just work another seven years. And what's funny is that Jacob was a manipulator all of his life. And then it comes down to this and he begins to be manipulated. And it goes on to show us as you read about Jacob and all that happens here, that your, uh, your sins, the things that you do to others will eventually come back. And so we have to begin to to make sure that what we're doing, we're treating others the way we want to be treated because it eventually does come back around to us. But here's Leah, and she gets to this place where she is literally the one who only has a marriage, only has a husband because her father tricked the guy into marrying her. That would pretty well stink, wouldn't it? If you were there and the only way you could get hitched was if your father tricked the guy into marrying you. That is bad. And so here she comes and she's there with Jacob. And the Bible clearly says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Can you see where this girl must have been at in her life? How she must have been feeling? I've been picked over. I've been left out. God, you know, I don't look that great. Here's this guy. He didn't want me. And somehow now I'm married to this guy who doesn't even like the way I look because I have weak eyes. Can you imagine living in that every day where he's, he's there and, and she's just kind of looked over because Rachel is so beautiful. But then it goes on in verse 31 and it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. See, the name Reuben means son. If you go on down, you see that she has Simeon. And the name Simeon means he who hears. If you go on down, she she has Levi. And Levi actually means attached. Can you kind of see what Leah is trying to do here through having children? that she's beginning to try to win Jacob over simply by saying, if I have kids, man, he's going to love me. God's seen my misery. He knows that when I start having babies for Jacob, he's going to begin to love me. And she's going after this love, after this affection, after all of this stuff, trying to manipulate Jacob's love, trying to make him love her. And she just ends up over and over and over again, trying to make this thing work. And what she ends up doing is she begins to just totally 
feel isolated. How many of you have ever been forgotten? You've ever felt this way and you end up in a place where you feel totally isolated. You begin to feel separated. You begin to feel like nobody understands what I'm going through. Have you ever felt that way? I know in the last year of my life, I've felt that way before. I mean, starting the church, I mean, you think, you think everything's, uh, you know, going to go great and perfect, and then things don't always go that way, and you get to a place where you begin to wonder, does anybody really know how I feel? Does really anybody really understand that? One of the reasons that so many marriages break up, so many marriages don't make it, is because the wife or the husband, one or the other, begins to feel like he doesn't understand me. They feel forgotten. They feel left out. They feel like he never... And we make a mistake to think that this is always just the woman. Men feel the same, but we never admit it. But men feel the same thing. We feel forgotten. We feel left out. And we wonder... Where's God in this? Or where's my husband in this? And we begin to try to manipulate things so that we get the attention that we desire, so that we get the attention that we want. We see this with children all the time. Children will go and they will do anything to get attention when they're not getting it at home. They'll do anything to get attention. I was watching television the other day on, on the History Channel. It was going through this thing about gangs in uh, Atlanta. And they were interviewing. How many of you ever heard of the gang? It's called Sur 13. It's S-U-R 13. It's a gang in Atlanta. And they were interviewing one of the leaders in this gang. And he said, when the reason I came to this gang is because when I got here, I found what I'd been looking for for all of my life. I found love. I found these people who had my back. I found... He was willing to do anything. He was willing to kill another person just to have the love and this feeling of acceptance to know that he wasn't forgotten. He was willing to do anything to be a part of that. And our children will do the same thing. They'll go after anything if they don't know that they are loved, if they feel forgotten. As Christians, part of our responsibility is to make connection with other people so that they can find the relationship that they were created to have. If people don't find the relationships that they're looking for, they're going to do whatever it takes to try to find those. They're going to do whatever it takes to try to find the relationships that they need, whether whether they have to sell out all their their morality, whether they have to sell out all of their values, whether they have to sell out God, whatever it is that they have to do, they will do what it takes to try to find that relationship, to try to find that fulfillment that they've been looking for. And one of the hardest things about it is when we're in relationships and we seem to be putting so much more in than what we're actually getting out. Have you ever felt that way? Where you're putting more in than we're getting out? Think about how Jesus must have felt. Think about how Jesus, it says, the Bible says that he came to his own, but his own wouldn't receive him. He was totally rejected by so many people that he came to die for. And so we feel, get in this place where we feel absolutely alone. Does anybody understand? But the good thing is the Bible says that we do not have a high priest. We do not have a savior. We don't have a God who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every way was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus knew the loneliness of life without anybody fully understanding who he was at the times. Even the closest people around him didn't understand everything about him. They didn't understand all that it meant. They were looking for something totally different than what he was bringing. 
I mean, can you imagine the loneliness that he felt on the cross? Even when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As all our junk was taken upon himself. He understands that feeling. He knows that feeling. And it's important that we remember that when we're going through times, we're going through trials, we're going through difficulties, when we feel like we've been forgotten. See, the problem for us is not that we've been forgotten, but I believe so many times it's that we've forgotten God. We've forgotten him in our lives. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and he's always there. And yet somehow we get to this place where we begin to think that maybe nobody cares. Maybe God's not there. That we feel this place of being forgotten and, and God is always there. He's there for us. If you go on, it's kind of crazy because Rachel begins to do the same kind of thing that Leah does. She gets frustrated because she can't have children, so she tries to begin to manipulate. And so she gets one of her servants to, have, uh, to sleep with Jacob. And then he finally, she finally has a son through her servant. And it goes on. And then it's even to the point where finally one day Rachel sees Leah. Uh, Reuben had brought her some of these mandrakes. And mandrakes, the important thing here is that mandrakes were used for a medicine that they believed would help them have children. So one of Leah's sons is bringing these mandrakes over to, um, to uh, Leah. And, and she sees them and she says, let me have the mandrakes. Rachel's warning these. And so Rachel actually takes the mandrakes in return for Jacob sleeping with Leah that night. But you see that there's this whole thing of manipulation going on where they're trying to manipulate things to work it out, to have the favor of Jacob. And when we begin to forget God and forget that God is the one that supplies everything that we need and forget that God is the one who will take care of us, then we are left with nothing but the possibility of manipulating the things that we feel we need. And that's what happened with them is they were, up, they were left to manipulation. They began to try to manipulate things in their own life. Now listen to this. In Isaiah 57, verse 20 through 21, it says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And we think about this, and we begin to think about the wicked being murderers or liars or thieves or all of these things. But I want to say to you today that I believe the greatest wickedness is living as though God does not exist. As though God is not our source of everything that we need. And how many of us in that scope would be considered to be wicked? It's easy for us to get into that place where our dependency is placed on something other than God. We start manipulating how things will come out, how things will work. We try to manipulate people's emotions to get the things that we need. And so we begin to manipulate all of these things. But it says here that the wicked are like the tossing of the sea. Have you ever watched the sea, especially maybe when a storm's coming? The waves are just on top of one another. They're going every way. And it says that the wicked are like the tossing of the sea, which cannot rest. And I think that sometimes as we begin to get into this, that we begin to be tossed to and fro. We're tossed around. We're tossed all over the place. And we can't even rest in who God is. We get to a place where the circumstances of life have caused us to forget God because we feel he's forgotten us. And so we come to this place where we are like the tossing sea, where we're tossed to and from, and it never rests. It's always moving. It's always being tossed, and there's no rest. There's no peace. It says that it's like, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. 
See, when we begin to manipulate things on our own, when we begin to look away from God, what ends up happening is mire, mud is cast up into our life and we begin to lose our vision. We can't see anymore. We don't know which way's up. And so we just begin to go this way and that, trying to figure out what it is that we can do to finally find the fulfillment that we've been looking for all along. We feel like maybe we can find that thing, just like Leah, maybe we can find that thing that's gonna help me to be satisfied. And God is blessing her with these children all the time. And she's looking at the blessing as something that she can do to try to get what she wants. Rather than being, the, being satisfied with the one who gave her the blessings in the first place. And so she's looking all over. She's trying to manipulate things. She's trying to do all these things. She's lost her vision. She's lost what, what God would have her do in her life. She's missing it all. She's missing all the blessing because her life is just being tossed around over and over again, living in a place where she feels forgotten and yet the blessing was all over her. It goes on and it says, there's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See, when you can't rest and you, you, you can't realize the blessing in your life, your vision's been robbed, then there's no peace because you're constantly going about trying to fix your own life. You know, we look to other people sometimes to fix us, but the truth of the matter is nobody in this room can fix anybody. The only thing that we can do is point people to the one who can fix them. And that's Jesus Christ. But we get to a place where we have no peace because we're just trying to manipulate life on our own. We try to manipulate things to work in our own behalf. I believe this. I believe that the solution is realizing that God can't forget us. He can't forget us. Have you ever thought about that? Like Jesus never is there sitting at the right hand of God and looks over at the Father and says, um, did you remember to do such and such, you know? Kind of like your wife does when you're riding down the road or, or whatever, or somebody looks over and he's like, did you cut the oven off? It, you know, God and, and Jesus, they never have those moments where they wanted, did you remember? He can't forget. He can't forget. I mean, Hebrews 13 tells us so clearly. It's 13.5. Hebrews 13.5 tells us so clearly that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And we read that all the time, but I wonder, does it really sink into us that God can't forget us, that we don't have to try to manipulate life to get what we want God is the provider and sustainer. He's the one that holds everything together and we don't have to worry about it falling apart if we'll just trust it to him. But just like Jacob was going through life and he's trying to figure it all out and he's trying to manipulate everybody else and pretty soon every prop he had established for his life began to fall apart. We can get by doing it for a while, but after a time when we begin to try to take it in our own hands, it's gonna fall apart. It's going to fall apart. See, the cool thing about that verse in Hebrews 13, 5 is the writer of Hebrews was actually quoting it out of Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua chapter 1 because at that point, the Israelites, the people of God, were getting ready to go into the promised land. They were getting ready to go into the promised land and God gave this to Moses and to Joshua so that they would be strong and courageous. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, on paper, there was this thing where if you lined them up like two football teams, those people in the promised land should have walked all over the Israelites. 
They should have killed him. Remember, they'd already sent 12 spies into that land, and only two of them came back and said, yeah, we should do it. The other 10 was like, oh, no. We don't need to go in there. And so if you lined them up, it'd be like putting the New Orleans Saints against the Statesboro High Blue Devils. It just didn't look like it would turn out well. And so God comes to Moses and he's like, tell them that I'll never leave them nor forsake them, that I'll go before them, that I'll be with them. And so they go on and and they end up going in. But how cool is that, that against all odds, God speaks to them and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter what it looks like around you. God will not leave you nor forsake you. We don't have to manipulate our own life to try to get what we want. If we will rest in God and find peace in God, find our vision in God, we will not be disappointed. The problem is we try to put our hands on everything and it ends up crumbling. The greatest looking things on earth can become like sand when we put our hands on them. And they crumble beneath our fingers. And so we've got to realize that God is there. The Bible tells us clearly that God cannot lie. He cannot lie. It even tells us that when we're unfaithful, God is going to do his part. God is going to do what he promised he's going to do. We can't change that. How awesome would it be if we could be that way with God, where we weren't just temperamental, where we weren't just based on what he's done for me lately, that we weren't in it for the good times and cursing him during the bad times. But that we realize he's the same yesterday and day forever. He is there. He promised that he would go into the land of Canaan with the Israelites, and he's promised that he'll go through life with you every day is that? To know that God is not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. That even in the times when we feel like he's not there, he's there. You know, I don't, I don't believe that faith, I don't believe great faith means you never doubt. I don't believe great faith means you never have a struggle. I believe that great faith is even when the doubt comes, even when the struggle comes, you keep moving in God's direction. That you don't allow things to toss you to and fro. But the greatest faith to me is continuing to move in God's direction even when you can't see it. Even when you don't see the salvations in the last four to five months. Listen, when we first started, man, we were seeing people getting saved. Every, every Sunday, were we not? There were people all the time. And then the last four or five months, it seems like some of that has kind of waned. It sort of disappeared a little bit. And yet as I pray about it and I seek it, God just says, keep going, keep moving. I promise you this, we are going to see people saved in this church. God is going to do an awesome work in this church. But if we just based it off of what we see, we should have quit a long time ago. But God's promises are the same. They're they're there. You you can trust them. God will not change. He does not change like shifting shadows. Listen, some of you have probably been in a place in which which things were great, things were good, and now maybe you're in a place where they aren't. But you know who hasn't changed? God. God is not changed. He can't change. 
He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Last thing I want to tell you is back in Genesis 29. It says this in verse 35. It says that Leah conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. You know what's interesting about this? It's it's almost like you can see Leah giving it her best shot at trying to make this work out, at trying to manipulate this thing to go her way. And then finally she gets to a point where she has the fourth child and she names him Jesus. She's like, now, I'm just going to praise God. And it says, this time, I'm going to praise the Lord. This time, I'll just praise his name. This time, I'm just going to trust him. And it says that she quit having children. I think it's interesting that something... Something had to change in Leah. Something had to happen so that she was no longer trying to manipulate everything in her favor, but she just finally said, I recognize that this is not working anymore, and so now I'm going to praise God. I'm going to praise the one who can actually do something about this feeling that I have. I'm going to quit looking at all these different things, trying to please Jacob and trying to do all these things. Evidently, he's not going to love me. So now I'm going to go to the one who can love me through and through. He can love me in the good and in the bad, and I'm going to praise his name. And my question to you today is maybe it's this time for us. Maybe it's this time that we need to quit looking to other things, begin to praise the one who can satisfy. Praise the one who can give us the desires of our, who can even show us the desires of our heart. Because sometimes when we're tossed to and fro, we can't even see clearly what it is that'll make us happy. And some of us have tried over and over and over again to do things that would keep us in the game to keep us happy to satisfy and they don't satisfy and maybe it's this time that we should just quit trying that and begin to praise God the one who never changes the one who is the one who's been all along for us the rock the one that we can stand on the one that we can trust but the crazy thing about it is Leah began to praise God Rachel began to have children And then Leah begins to freak out again, trying to have children of her own. She lost the security in who God was. And I wonder how many times that happens to us. We make a decision today that I'll praise God. And then something comes along and all of a sudden we let it rattle us. We let it shake us. We let it get us off our game. And then the next thing we know, we're back to trying to manipulate. How many of you have ever come to an altar, left it at the altar, and then went back and picked it up the next day? How many people have been prayed for on Monday at lunchtime to be delivered? They walk out of here, feel like the weight of the world's been lifted off their shoulders, and then by Monday morning, we've taken it all back again. It's our tendency, it's our nature, that we would go and we would take the things that God would take off of us and we would grab them back, that we would recognize God's hand on our life, and then all of a sudden, we would want to just say, okay, God, take those up, let me do this on my own. We start to climb out of the pit And the next thing you know, we're just digging it back out again. It's wild. See, God's hand was on Leah long before she recognized his hand upon her life. God's hand was there. It was on her life. He gave her three sons. It took four before she seemed to even be able to recognize the giver of the blessing. 
God's hand is on our life right now. Maybe we just need to turn and recognize the fact of what all God is doing. It's a great time throughout the Christmas season to begin to look at that and see it. But perhaps today, God would have us to notice what he's doing in our lives. Maybe today is the day that God would turn our hearts to begin to worship him rather than trying to manipulate things in our own lives. Listen, God has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. He has not left us. He is here. He is with us. And he will carry us through. Good, bad, ugly. He will carry us through. Today, they gave you guys these um, red pieces of yarn. We always think about forgetting things because we always hear this, the thing of it's tie you know, a red ribbon around your finger, tie a string around your finger so that you won't forget. And it never works that way for me. I can forget almost anything. But we gave you guys these things so that you can put it somewhere that you'll see it whether it's on your visor in your car, whether you tape it on your mirror at home, wherever you go that you will see this regularly, we want you to put it there. And so that when you see it, you can remember God has not forgotten me. God is there. That you can take it with you. And no matter where you are, what you're going through, whether you think you're in the best time of your life or you think you're in the worst time of your life, you know God is there. Remember, he can't lie, and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's there. So we want you to take those with you today as a reminder that God is very present in your life.